0: Liberty listeners, welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And today we have Jennifer Worley, founder of Face House. Jennifer, welcome. It's so great to have you, or shall we say Jen? You go by Jen around here, right? Jen's great. And thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. I'm excited to kind of get into your story because it's unique in that I don't think we've ever told a story about three founders. So This is going to be a good one. And before we get into the founder sort of situation, tell us a little bit about what Face House is. Sure. So uh, Face House is really the first ever open concept
1: facial bar. We opened our first location in Studio City in 2013 and really have just been challenging the traditional day spa model ever since then. You know, the idea was to take away all the fluff, all the day spa elements that don't add to your actual facial, but that create a much higher overhead, which then trickles down to that high price tag for skincare. So, you know, we did away with things like the robe, the lounge, really even the walls so that you could focus or we could focus our time and money into things that impact your actual skincare service. So I think what's really different about Face House is our open concept, our accessibility, our affordability, and all of this with absolutely no compromise in our quality of services. You know, our products and services are on par with the highest priced uh, luxe spas at roughly a third the price. Wow. One thing actually that makes me really happy still to this day, six years later, is that our model includes historically underserved people. We're 30% men. We have many, many teens and and then those who couldn't or didn't want to pay the crazy high prices, you know, that were uh, what was available for for good facial skincare.
0: What made you guys get into this? Because to look at the landscape of skincare and to say, hey, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this differently, would normally take somebody who spent some time kind of steeped in that world. But if I remember correctly from the first time you and I chatted, that's not where the three of you came from. Like, you came at this <laughs> from no. a slightly different angle. Tell us about that.
1: We're A-typers, uh, serial entrepreneurs, gritty. And no, we, at that time, we were not skincare experts or licensed estheticians. So it was 2012, and my good friends and my founding partners, Carrie Burke, Don Olmsted, and I hosted a facial-themed birthday and realized how great everyone felt after the facials, because none of us were getting regular facials, and then, because of how expensive it was, we also realized it would not be happening again anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. we talked, yeah, and said uh, truly, I think my first facial was at like thirty four we just started talking about the huge gap in the skincare market. And, you know, there was nowhere to get affordable, great facials, both for busy working moms, uh, for our husbands, for our teens who'd never had facials. And believe me, they all needed them. Between the three of us, we have 14 kids. So we see a lot of clogged pores on a daily (laughs) basis. And because apparently we didn't have enough on our plates at that time, we started brainstorming and You know this concept of house and facials for the people emerged in those really early conversations and our focus was to reimagine the luxury elite spa model Um, we wanted a unisex high design open concept open-minded house where everyone felt welcome and neither the physical space or the cost would be an intimidation uh, but like you said, we're you know we don't have a skincare background. We're business women. We're um, we have varied uh, professional experience between us. But we knew we needed exceptional experts, and we brought in the dermatology legend Dr. Harold Lancer as our consulting mm-hmm. physician. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hired our first team of fantastic expert estheticians. We call them estes. And launched our first house. That first location and first attempt is always interesting because it's sure. gritty and scrappy and not perfect. But, you know, like flash forward today, we have five locations in LA, we have a location in New York, we have one in Dallas, and a second in Dallas starting construction now. Oh, that's uh, exciting. We've quadrupled in size in the last 18 months, and we have an exciting pipeline of new locations, innovations for. 2020 as well.
0: That's so great. And I have to tell you, I went to the Studio City one. I sort of happened upon it. I was down there doing something else and I walked by knowing that you and I were going to eventually be doing this podcast. And so I went in to take a look at things, ask a little bit about the service. And I was completely, even though I knew about it and you and I had talked about it to, to kind of some great detail, I was still very impressed and kind of even like overwhelmed in the best way. Like this exists. How did I not know about this? And the menu. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. Especially at our very first location. And by the way, it was impeccable.
1: (laughs) That's good to hear too.
0: and And I would have thought that, you know, I like you have had some kind of spa facial experiences, little overpriced, so I don't do it with regularity. But when I went in there, I thought, man, this would be so easy from an affordability price, you definitely have captured us or captivated us there. Like, the pricing was really accessible. And I mm-hmm. have teenagers and I thought, oh, this would be great for them. And I could see both my daughter here, yeah, I could and see my son together, here. Yeah. Right? I mean, no, that's,
1: yeah. that's turned into a big piece, actually, that I think we underestimated. In the beginning, we thought about, you know, individuals going and feeling more comfortable in this open setting now than ever before, whether it's, you know, work working socially sure. or sure. You know, the hair salon or the new foot massage or, you know, really everything's being done out in the open now. And we thought people... Would be comfortable and sometimes even more comfortable than a dark private room. Right. But we didn't anticipate the groups and the parties and the events that would emerge. Um, and that's become a big part of our business, actually. Okay, Team I want to hear building, we had BuzzFeed. Yeah. I mean, I
0: won't jump ahead. No, if that's I want to hear more but... about that. But first, get, tell me a little bit about so the three of you come together, you have this conversation, and you decide to move forward. And, you know, one thing you said earlier is three type A people. And that sounds lovely and that sounds like a nightmare all at the same time. So how do these three women... They could be, right? Yeah. So what did you guys do to like alleviate any of the issues that may arise when three women who are strong and creative and have kind of... They're all visionaries in their own right. How do you, how do you pull this off? How do you pull something like this off with not just, you know, two founders, but three?
1: Yes. It could be potentially really bad, actually. And and luckily for us, it's not. And it, it's always been pretty great. I think our situation is different than a lot of partnerships. In the conception phase, the three of us were all integral and, and extremely involved. And then in 2013, Carrie and Don's careers in the entertainment industry took off. Carrie's now the president of ABC and Don's the president of Universal
0: Cable. So they're busy. Yeah. I've heard of those companies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you heard of that? I have, I have, yeah.
1: <laughs> and you know, I was a writer at the time. From the very beginning, it just became clear that I was gonna be that person. I was gonna be, you know, the face and the boots on the ground and the the person running the company. And they would continue on as brand ambassadors, passionate about Face House, board members, constantly on a group, you know, text chat. And that's, you know, what it's been actually for the past six years.
0: So, but when you first started, I mean, you said their careers took off. Did those careers take off before there was actually the very first Face House, that Studio City location? Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: they did. I mean, they started and it became very clear. And, you know, to be honest, I have, I think, more experience with branding and operational in that regard. And... I took on a lot of the writing of the initial protocols, menus, training manuals, business plan. And so it just sort of organically emerged. And I I wouldn't recommend that approach to (laughs) people in partnerships. But luckily for us, I think because of our close relationship, our immense respect for each other, uh, we never had any, any big issues. I mean, there's three of us too. So if there's a vote, (laughs)
0: <laughs> There's always yeah. a result. I that's, think we know too. That's actually two, really true. <laughs> no, that's actually really true to some degree. I think that can alleviate some of yeah. those things that yeah. are a, a, that 50 50 tug of war that can sometimes happen with partners. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've seen many, many partnerships fall apart that are two people, two friends. I think while it may have been harder to do most of that work myself, It also was easier because, you know, there's an expression in probably most industries, but in the entertainment industry that we all have worked in, when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, it gets even more challenging. Yeah. So I think being able to run with things and then bring them in when when needed for big decisions was probably easier in a lot of ways. Yeah. Now that's not the case because we have a, a huge team. So there's sure. lots of cooks in the kitchen. They're, they're, but they're layered, right?
0: Each each cook
1: has its yes. –
0: they're making their own particular thing. So it's a little bit more organized. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And you know what? We held out for the perfect partners too. So it's it's a dream team
0: actually. Okay, So you're taking us exactly where I wanted to go. When you guys came together okay. to pull this brick and mortar off, that's a lot of money. So when you talk about partners right now, are you talking about financial partners Or are you talking about people that came in that help with some of the operations of the company as well? I'm
1: talking about both, thankfully. During those first two years, three years of the business, you know, we launched our first location out of pocket, the three Mm -hmm. of us. We brought in a very small group of friends and family uh, to help support some of the, you know, continuing costs and the build out of our second location in West Hollywood, Mm -hmm. which was the second year. And then beyond that, we just refined our brand and worked really hard to make sure we were we were ready. We knew expansion was coming next, but we needed to find the right path. It wasn't going to come out of our accounts sure. anymore, sure. And but we didn't want to bring on partners that had just the finance or just the structural and, and management experience. We wanted to find partners that could provide both. You know, there was a big debate. We were new to this type of growth and- People came to us with franchise models. People came, I mean, it was sort of like a series of bad dates where I could see Dawn Googling them across the table, yeah. under the table, I should say, and, you know, finding questionable uh, elements to their histories. So, I mean, luckily, we were approached by a fantastic team about 18 months ago. And they come with, I mean, 30 years of industry experience. They grew. Uh, the brands Bliss and Carol's Daughter. I mean, yeah. both, which, I mean, fantastic. Both female-founded mm-hmm. businesses that started in small brick-and-mortar passion projects and then grew with the support of this team into global brands.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, you know, our, our current and new CEO was the president of Bliss and Carol's Daughter. And because he's so revered and such a fantastic person, many of the people that have worked with him in the past came on board with us as well to build out our whole management team.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
1: I'm so happy. So grateful.
0: And so let me just back up a little bit because so if I have it all kind of straight, and again, I'm, I'm asking these questions on behalf of the listener who's trying to do the math and say, okay, here's where I am in my process. How similar is this to Jen's process and where do I differ and where do I go get this awesome partner? So you have two mm-hmm. locations you, you guys know expansion's next, but you kind of really lean in, into ensuring that the brand is primed for expansion. Those are out of pocket and bringing in a series of kind of angels, friends and family. And then the partner comes, you said, 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. So correct. there's a couple years there where you guys are, are not working with a strategy or financial partner. Is that Correct. Am I drive the timeline right? Yes. Now? Okay. And in that time, you guys are seeing the growth of these two local brick and mortars and feeling out different potential partners along the way and just saying, No, it's not time. No, that's not the person. No, they're not ready. We're not ready. Yeah. Whatever. It was
1: more, I think, it's not the person. It's not and the person. Okay. This is not something I mean, we were literally Googling acronyms constantly. Like what's VC? What's, I mean, you know, Mm. I feel like now I've probably had an honorary MBA six years later, but we knew nothing, absolutely nothing. And it was, you know, how our, I mean, luckily our first two locations were profitable. The first one after a year, and I think the second one after six months. And as we opened new locations it's you know even faster, which is great, but it wasn't enough money to expand sure. and to really grow the company. So we knew we needed an infusion of investment and really had no idea how to do it um, at that point.
0: I mean, if somebody did something that was a glaring misstep in their career, you didn't want to partner with them. But were you all looking for kind of a gut check, like yeah, this is the right person, and if we all didn't agree, we were going to move on. Like, what was the thing that? helped you to be picky to the point of ultimately landing with the right person?
1: Yeah, I think we're very gut check people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think women maybe skew that way. And we, so there was a lot of that, but there was also criteria. I mean, we knew we needed funding. We knew we needed some industry experience. We knew we needed someone that had scaled and grown businesses and that could provide some kind of operational support and to help build out the systems and the structure of the company.
0: And when those people came along, did you feel like once they were on board, did you feel like you still were able to maintain sort of the control you wanted in leading the company where it was going? Or did you feel like, oh, now I have a partner to bounce things off of and we're doing this together? Or did you feel like you had to kind of step aside in some way?
1: Sometimes I've wanted to step aside a little, <laughs> to be
0: honest. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but no, I've never stepped aside. I've never been asked or wanted wow. to step aside. Yeah. And I would say I'm leading alongside some fantastic partners. I mean, we're all extremely involved. It's very collaborative. And, you know, they're an exceptional group of people that bring a wealth of experience and insight that complements my weaknesses, really. Mm. Um, And I think that's key to a good partnership.
0: And what would you say, and we'll get into this a little bit more in the second half of the interview, but what would you say, you know, Carol's daughter and Bliss, I remember them. I was living in New York City at the time. I remember when Carol's daughter was, you know, started in Brooklyn out of her apartment. I remember all those stories. That was a different climate in terms of, let's talk about Bliss in particular, because that ended up being a brick and mortar. How do you look at that landscape now and say, okay, we're bringing on people who have been amazing in this space and kind of know everything there is to know, but it's a different climate and there are different nuances, there are different needs. You know, we keep talking about this Amazon world that we're living in, this Amazon generation, this Amazon way of thinking. How did you know to partner with something or someone who really had a history for bring elevating some, you know, two brands in a different time, in a different climate. Am Mm -hmm. I, is that a, I know what I'm trying to ask. I'm not sure if I'm asking it very well. Yeah, no, I understand what you're asking.
1: You know, I think they're really smart people. And I think they saw, they were with those companies for so long and ultimately took them to sales. Bliss sold to Starwood and was in all the W hotels and Carol's daughter sold to L'Oreal. I think there were multiple sales in the Bliss deal, but these are people that are very observant of the trends in the industry and the changes. And I think that's actually what intrigued them about our model and why they approached us. Because it was different. It was a little ahead of its time. Yeah. I mean, really, we were the first one to do it in 2013. It didn't exist. And I'd there never were seen so many like people it, yeah. saying, well, in the open, like no yeah. private... No walls and no – we even invested in these really expensive Dutch prototype cool felt privacy screens in the event that we needed to pull them out for clients who would – you know, be uncomfortable in that setting. And never once did we use them. They they ended up sitting in our garages for like four and a half years. And I finally sold them at a garage sale. But that wasn't an issue. You know, so I think these partners saw the experiential difference, where the market was heading, what was happening to retail, what was happening post economic downturn. Our timing was good in that Mm -hmm. regard and thought this is where... The industry is headed. And so, you know, wanted to get
0: on board. Well, I know a lot of listeners will already know who you are, but I I know there's a handful that won't. And I'm so excited for them to listen to this and then go find the space and be <laughs> blown you. away. Because it really is, I'm being really sincere, it's unlike anything I've seen. And when you said earlier in the conversation that it was like, you didn't say beauty salons because nobody calls them that anymore, but whatever they're called, wherever we get our hair done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a no brainer. We don't think that we need privacy in those situations. We don't think we need privacy mm-hmm. when we're getting our manicures and pe- pedicures. Like, that's not a thing. So, why, why would it be a thing other than that's what we were used to? But it's not necessary. Right. right? It's just exactly. a, it's a mindset. And
1: it doesn't, and it can actually be a social thing. And yeah. I think
0: there's a movement toward this social
1: beauty, social wellness social i mean you look at these single service models for everything yeah. now right like yeah. soul cycle box union all of them yeah. and and drybar obviously has like the first example we can do it together and i think now people are more comfortable i know my teens are i know my husband it's you know you walk in and it's cool design it's unisex yeah. there's great music we've done away with the traditional desk we have a communal table so you're very you know, immersed with our team. There isn't this barrier. And that all lends itself to a kind of a party atmosphere too. So we host so many birthday parties, bridal showers, team building events, um, party book parties. And the list, it's, it's fantastic to see that it's just a totally different approach. You can be chatting with people while getting an LED light, oxygen blast, extraction, <laughs> facial, and you haven't lost your momentum from the day you haven't had to disrobe yeah it energizes you i mean it's relaxing but it energizes you so that you're
0: you know you're not sort of taken out of your day like you would be in a day spa so sure. i would think too with the party piece of it with multiple people going at the same time whether it's a big party or you know a small group of friends that are going that everybody having a slightly different treatment and then talking about it on their way out elicits, you know, person A who didn't have whatever service was going back to get what person B got. So it's almost like those people become mouthpieces for face house among their own friend set. Right. Which I don't know if that was intentional, but that's really brilliant marketing. So let's Uh, let's just call it intentional. intentional. It's
1: definitely (laughs) definitely, um, an important piece, right? And um, because it's very customized and very visual. We have a whole menu of you know very specific facials, but then also add-ons, boosts we call them, uh, that are really innovative, interesting boosts. You know with peels and uh, the light stem LED. And like I said earlier, it's a fraction of the cost. I think the same light stem machine you pay five to six hundred dollars for one service at high end day spas in LA, and at Face House it's seventy dollars. Wow. So it's a it's a staggering difference for the same
0: exact service. Wow. And you, when you first started talking, you it sounded like the party thing was a surprise to you guys. Or maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, was that always a part of the model?
1: I don't think the party aspect was originally. I think the idea that people could go together was on our radar, like a mom would go with her son, you know, like, honestly, I'll walk through a house today and... There's eight chairs, and I'll see a mom and her 16-year-old son who has helmet acne from football, and I'll see two 25-year-old girls on their lunch break. I'll see Duff McKagan, the bassist from Guns N' Roses, Uh, and then on the far right is an orthodox rabbi with his daughter. Wow! (laughs) And luckily... We have male estheticians on staff. He was able to get a facial, but it really, I mean, honestly, every time I go in, I'm amazed and thrilled to see who our client base is. So the party thing, I think, emerged organically, but the doing it together piece was, I think, was always, always part intended. of the plan. Sure.
0: The amount of people wanting to have parties in the space and utilize the space in that way, did that cause you guys to rethink the use of the space and how much we dedicate to the party and how we still make it available to our walk-in or one-on-one or two, you know, two people coming in at a time. Did it? Did you have to shift anything that you were doing when you saw this sort of organic growth or leaning towards the, the party piece of it?
1: I think you hit on a really important part of growing a business because I think we're always shifting yeah. in every department of growing a business. So it's really watching what's happening. Yeah. What's working, what's not working, what new ideas are emerging, and how do we react to them, and what do we put in place to grow them, whether it's in protocols or in, you know, our training program and service innovation has exploded over the past six months. We've brought on the most amazing head of service innovation and training and have really shifted to put our aestheticians front and center in our business. So instead of being these sort of, you know, I think in the past, they're sort of nameless, they're replaceable, they you know, uh, have a lot of debt, they work in these dark back rooms. I mean, that's sort of the old model for estheticians. And we realized that they're the foundation of this kind of business. And Absolutely. so we rebuilt our website to feature them. We have incredible robust training and ongoing education. We have an incredible career pathing model for them and they are critical to the, the success. Of our business.
0: And to that end, if you're not going into a room with them, it's not all about kind of what the room or the private ambiance is all about. They almost become even more integral to the experience, right? It's like you're having an experience in this open space. But you're having it with me, the esthetician. Like, we're the ones that are in some ways connecting. I'm hearing your story. It's interesting because,
1: I mean, you haven't had a facial yet, right? But we have to get you in there. Yeah, I will. will, will. Um, will. But you still feel that really personal, intimate connection with your esthetician despite the fact that you're in this open setting. And... For them, you know, the vast majority of estheticians are actually really social, warm, touchy-feely, passionate, skincare-obsessed people. And I think it's a little bit of a rude awakening to them a year into their careers that they're isolated and in the dark and in private. And if they're new, they're really not being able to watch and learn from expert or seasoned estheticians. So I think our model solves for all of those issues that they sure. face. Um, it, and so they're able to really watch and learn, to ask questions, and then to feel connected to people.
0: Yeah. You bring in all that raw talent and all that passion for something, and you create not just a platform where they can have a career, but you create a platform where they can actually thrive in a career. And it becomes yes. it's interesting as you were talking, I was thinking the innovation for a company that's doing well is not only client facing. The innovation is often even within their own employees. How do you build that team and how do you do that? Oh, yeah. Way, right? So, yes, yes we're 50 50. I mean, we're still in
1: growth and scaling phase here. So, we're putting programs in place. I mean, we've just completely reworked and are relaunching an incentive program for our teams. It's going to be huge and fantastic for them. And at the same time, you know, we're looking at client facing the actual product we're creating with equal energy and innovation. Yes. So it's a lot. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're you're looking at it from both sides all the time.
0: I think it's good for people to because they can walk into your space or hear this story and think all the innovation and all the ideas and the sexiness is all client facing and forget how much work mm-hmm. And how much thoughtfulness has to go into how do we create that space for the people who work for us and work with us to ultimately sell what is this in, you know amazing uh, service to our customer? It's it's so much of it. Yeah, you can't, you won't
1: have a good company. I mean, no matter how great your protocols are and your space looks and. I mean, it's not going to be a success if you don't have an amazing program for your employees and you keep them and you grow them and you give them opportunity. A service brand only works when everyone's thriving.
0: So you keep leading me into the next question. I love this. So what has been oh, the hardest good. part of, of launching this service brand? <laughs> and it's probably there's there's more to come. But if you look back at the the last six years, what would you say has been Harder than you probably anticipated, because I, I get a sense that you knew it was going to be hard, that you you didn't ever think this was going to be easy. But, I had no idea it was going to be this <laughs> yeah. hard. Well, just, I think it's the saving grace. Or this rewarding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit like having a child, right? You're like, holy hell, oh I had no idea. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly like having yeah. a child.
1: But, like, I love it immensely, and I will never give up on it. Sure. But, oh,
0: my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's exactly, <laughs> but oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. So when you look back, what has that been where you're like, wow, I really didn't know how hard this was going to be. And if I were to talk to somebody who was about to walk in my shoes to open a service business, what would I want to say to them? Like, just either get ready. This is going to be really hard or you kind of don't have to do it this way. Like I maybe made it harder on myself than I needed to.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a labor inten- and people intensive model, unlike an e-commerce business, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can earn money while you sleep. Mm-hmm. Like we only earn money when we're open. And when you run a brick and mortar business like this, especially one that's in steep growth mode, there are so many moving parts that require organization, foresight, ability to scale, and all of that without losing the core elements of the brand along the way. I think, you know, it's, it's critical that you do your research and that you develop a concept, make sure your concept is strong, that your brand identity fills a gap and that you're doing it differently and better than your competitors. You know, I would say you have to learn from your mistakes Mm -hmm. and not be, not let your ego stop you from knowing your
0: own weaknesses so that you are open to improvements and was was that hard for you, or did you? I mean, you were a professional before you did this, so some of that is just I, I had this working knowledge. What was it that was specifically hard to, because you probably learned the ego thing in your prior professional career, right? Yeah,
1: I am very. I mean, as a writer, I mean, I have had. A, I'm a bit of a serial. Uh, student and entrepreneur. I've had a lot of a a very varied career path. And um, I think, you know, I learned humility along the way. I've had entrepreneurial ventures. I've designed, manufactured and distributed my own products. I've been a working author and screenwriter and gotten harsh feedback and learned how to grow. And, you know, all of those things I think taught me so much in terms of collaboration and really drawing upon the strengths of others, you know, and also helped in terms of brand development, ID, identity, design, things like that. But I think the hardest part for me, was just kind of fumbling in the dark. I like being good and knowing what I do and I'm not afraid of learning. I love, you know, I continually go back to school. My poor husband, I'm like <laughs> always enrolling in something, but he's thankfully very supportive. But it's, um, it's hard to, to have to learn something while you're doing it. Um, okay. I think
0: for me, that was the hardest part. That's good. That's good, and you probably, to some degree, we go into those thinking we have some expertise. Otherwise, we wouldn't be going into them, or at, at the very least, it's a very, really strong idea. So, this constant learning, constant educating, constant willingness to find the gap and fill it, whether it's with your own, you know, within a learning curve of your own or outside of yourself.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It's either you are an absolute expert. And so, you know, creating a business around that expertise is a no brainer, or you have a really strong idea. And for us, it was a strong idea and no expertise. I mean, expertise in terms of production, right? Carrie sure. and Don are both producers. You know, I'm a writer. I have branding experience. I and mean, we had some of the fundamentals for building a business in place, but not a lot of expertise you know, in this sector specifically. But I think, you know, we weren't afraid to dive in and learn and bring in the experts that we needed. So I think it's that willingness and stamina
0: and grit that allowed us to go for it. Well, and the genius behind you guys not coming from that space is that you were able to view it in a different way, that you had a a fresh set of Mm -hmm. eyes on it. And you sometimes when people come from a particular industry, they can get stuck in the, well, that's not how it's done, or you really can't. You know, there's a little bit of, I know too much, and so I'm not, I, I don't know how to color outside of the lines, because I've right, been right. into it. That's been
1: an interesting part, actually, yeah, along yeah. the way, because you're right. We see it from the perspective of what we would want yeah. to exist, And whether, you know, sometimes, you know, we're hiring, you know, we have, we've gone from 13 employees to, I don't know, 140, I think right now, and you interview people who are veterans and sometimes you're right. Their mindset is so ingrained in that traditional model that it's a struggle for them to adopt a totally different approach. And, you know, same thing with our partners, although, you know, I think they're, they're, Excited about turning left when everyone else is going straight, and that's our constant mode. Like, we never are, are comfortable, we never let ourselves be comfortable with the status quo. I mean, part of you know, that was the
0: well, why is there a desk? Well, why is there? It's constantly yeah. asking um, those questions, yeah, not taking it. anything for granted. Yeah. I love that. Okay, so something in your in who you are in your DNA just makes you, I mean, I can just hear it. This has nothing to do with the experience you brought into this. This is just a part of who you are. But I have to ask, you've said a couple times you were writing before. So you were in the industry along with these other two women. And by industry, I should be clear, because not everybody listening is in LA, but you were part of the kind of Hollywood movie, maybe TV scene for a while. Is that right?
1: That's right. That was a period of time, you know, my whole life, I think I wanted to be a writer. And I definitely, like you said, was born with an entrepreneurial spirit. I think I got it from my dad, who always has a great idea. And um, (laughs) I remember at age seven or eight, I joined the Captain America Club. This is like nineteen. 80, 81 Uh and apparently they could make children work for them at that time. I don't think we can do that anymore. No, probably not. But I sold paper yeah, I sold paper goods to my entire neighborhood and was able to choose from a catalog by salary. Uh and the the items I chose were a pop tent and a wallet a Velcro wallet. So I moved into my backyard for (laughs) a a solid 72 hours in my tent because I just, I couldn't wait to to get on with my life.
0: I love that.
1: So, yeah, I think there is that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, You know, I've been a a deckhand on an Alaskan fishing boat, a teacher, an author, a screenwriter. I was VP of creative affairs for a really interesting film production company. And then most recently, I studied landscape architecture at UCLA. And I just love learning. And I'm not afraid to fail, which I think is something I hope I'm teaching my kids. Because none of this comes without failure. It's constantly failing and getting back up. um, Whether on a really small, hopefully mostly on a small scale. But that's how you learn. Absolutely. I'm all for it. And
0: if you are afraid to to take that sort of risk, then you live in this sort of arrested development state. And no one wants to be in that. I remember hearing or reading, and I think it's kind of she's she's probably hashtagged it by now, but the founder of Spanx has said that when she would come when she and her brother would come home from school. Her dad would say at the dinner table, "How did you fail today? Like, what what did you fail at today? Like right. that that was yes, I've heard that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I thought, man, what a brilliant thing to to give, what a gift to give to your kids that freedom to to fail, and then all the things they get to yeah. try and they get to put themselves uh, in front of, because often we, we don't know, we have no idea whether we don't know what the experience will be, and if we'll kind of um, gravitate towards it or if there's kind of this little magic that that happens, and we find ourselves, oh man, I really like this entrepreneurial thing, or I really like managing people, mm-hmm. or I really, whatever it is. So I love that.
1: I mean, it might not be for everyone, honestly.
0: It's no, not, it is not. It's not for the faint I, of heart, yes. and it requires
1: serious stamina, and it yes. requires you know just the ability to be knocked down and to get back up and yes. not give up. Yes. It's not smooth sailing. No, I time.
0: I used to think that entrepreneurship was for everyone, that people just needed to open themselves up to it. And I no longer, some, I don't know, eight years ago, mm-hmm. six years ago, somewhere along the, the road, I was like, mm, I don't think that's true. And I think that's a really, um, that, <laughs> right. that, that's that's not honoring people to say that everyone can do this or should do this. And it's not because, it's not a challenge to say, well, it's not for everyone, you, you might not want to. It's for people to really take a look at what it takes to listen to podcasts, to to hear people's stories right. and to really get beyond everything that looks, you know, the the front page fun news of how much they're worth and how uh, all the sexy stuff. It's really getting behind the yeah. scenes and saying, what was the cost? What did it cost you to get to that in time, and money, and right. heartache, in, you know, in all the things. And then asking yourself from that vantage point, like, am I up for that? Am I up for all of that? And, and you can't hard. predict it. No, you right? cannot. You can't predict the outcome. No.
1: You so cannot. it's um, being optimistic, but with a real dose of
0: caution. Yeah. At absolutely. all times. That we'll, We will definitely be hashtagging that one. So <laughs> was there a time that you ever felt like, you know what, we're done. I need to throw in the towel. And if so, what kept you going? <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Yes. Not just throw it in, but burn it, bury it, yeah. ship it to Mars. <laughs> 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 I mean, every time you're faced with greater risk and have to be the person to say, okay, yes, let's do it, <clears throat> knowing that you're taking that risk. Or when issues arise that just feel stressful and exhausting, it's those moments I want to go live on a beach with no possessions somewhere. But I think the other bigger part of me, and luckily it is the bigger part, just keeps me pushing, improving, learning, wading through the challenges, aiming for a good result and staying optimistic. And you know, you have to watch the indicators too. I mean, if there's promise and there's growth and there's revenue and there's good press and you're seeing uh, an upward trajectory, all those, you have to pay attention to those indicators. and, And, you know, at some point it probably is wiser to throw in the towel if it's not going well. But for us, there's always been positive motion and momentum.
0: Well, and let's just keep hoping for more of that because um, I think what you guys are building is Thank great. Thank you, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and a great opportunity for more and more people to, from a customer base to experience what your offering is and great skincare, like the result of that. So kudos mm-hmm. to you guys, it's it's great. I wanna take us a little bit into kind of picking your brain for those people who are listening and really curious about the brick and mortar space. I think that's one of the things I hear people asking me about constantly like yes we know we need to be engaging and you know creating experiential sort of things for people to draw people in because it is so daunting what is the thing that you think they are really having to overcome in, in the brick and mortar space cuz people you know they don't want to just live in their houses all the time they do want to go somewhere but we just have to get yes. them there so what would you say is kind of let me give you this one little nugget of advice that you need to overcome or that you need to deal with as you, before you consider this?
1: We were lucky um, and sort of unintentionally happened upon the perfect time to launch a service business. It was right. Like I said, after the economic downturn, retail was suffering, Amazon exploding. And landlords and, you know, commercial enterprises were were and still are all looking for experiential brands. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure people have noticed even those classically retail only uh, businesses are now launching experiential components. Yeah. So for us, that was great. And I think that's a key to a successful brick and mortar storefront right now. You know, in the beginning, we dealt with millions of startup questions and obstacles and and that come with that but and now we're dealing with how do you grow and market and do outreach as a national brand that's still very focused and on local neighborhoods and cultures so it's this dichotomy right of speaking to everyone but speaking specifically to the neighborhood of our location so i think you know my advice would be to incorporate or to at least think about the experiential component of your brand and, um, figure out a way to do something differently and better than it's been done in the past or by others. Yeah. And bring in the right partners. Yes.
0: All all, all good, all good advice. Um, and the other thing I think that you touched on a lot that I think it was really great advice is just the the people component. So I want to ask a little bit more about that, like building this great team, having that be such a big part of the brand experience of growing the company, scaling what you've got. How do you know when somebody's like a good team player, whether they're kind of in an administrative role um, or one of the estheticians? Like, how do you know, what is it that you're really looking for that says, we want to invite them into the face house team? Yeah,
1: this is so critical. This is such an important piece of a service business. And, you know, we're heavily, heavily invested and focused on our company culture. And that revolves around inclusivity, respect for every unique face that comes through our door, both on our team and our clients. And I mean, really, we've built our business with our estheticians being the focal point of our company. I think a good fit is critical for every role, not just our estes. And we're dedicated to finding people who embrace that mission, who are Mm -hmm. positive and passionate about skincare and about people feeling great about who they are. And it's, you know, that gut check again. I mean, I remember in the very earliest days. I did all the interviews for the first few years and hired everyone. And a woman drove from Arizona. This is to Studio City. She had never really left her small town in Arizona. And she drove, I think, six or seven hours to the interview oh, wow. um, and had just finished aesthetic school in Arizona and was working, had been at her first job for about a year or, or so. And was so ambitious and so motivated and you could just see it and hear it in everything she said. And obviously we hired her. She moved out of her her town in Arizona and is still with us today, six years later and has grown immensely. You know, you just can feel that passion. And for us, it's more important to find that person uh, with that passion than to find someone who has 25 years experience. I mean, especially because, I think I mentioned it earlier, we, we recently hired a head of um, service innovation and training, Anne-Marie Chilmi, who's amazing. She has 30 years of incredible hands-on industry experience. With her on board, we're building this robust training, um, ongoing education. And with that in place, we're able to hire people more for who they are. I mean, obviously they're licensed and, you sure, know, they're... Sure, are sure. We're not, you know, there are requirements in this industry, <laughs> but we're willing to train people is what I'm saying because we, we have that incredible system in place now. Um, and I think that has lent itself to an even stronger team because of the people, you know, we're able to bring on.
0: I hope our listeners can really hear that. It's something that has come up before in these interviews. It's something that I believe in, like hire the person first, you can train people and if you're hiring the right person, one of the things you want them to be is trainable that they want to learn, that they're mm-hmm. eager to learn, that they're, and I, I mean, at every level, I mean, even people that are, um, Oh, if, absolutely. If you're hiring around yes. you that could, you know, that could be at your same level or eventually that you can report to, which sometimes uh, is the case with uh, founders that they hire people that they end up reporting to in some capacity. So I'm talking at right. all levels. Yes. Yes. It's buying into the culture of the company. It's buying into the growth. When you're in growth mode, there's going to be discomfort sometimes. Like, well, we don't know. We're going to shift. Things are going to change. Hang tight. We'll get right back to you. It's people who kind of uh, give you the benefit of the doubt in that season. And I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of that is probably gut check. And a lot of that is putting the right interviewers in place. Like the fact that it was you for those first couple of years makes all the sense in the world because you you know kind of the face house speak. You know what you're looking for. You know what you want your clients to experience when they come in. Mm-hmm. So And don't
1: underestimate the power of company culture and who you hire. I mean, honestly, especially as an open concept, yeah. people-intensive business, I mean, it really is the foundation of your business. So it demands and deserves a lot of your time.
0: Yeah, and even – to that point, like I can imagine you have to be careful of anybody being toxic in an environment like that, because mm-hmm. in an isolated room, it's in an isolated room out in the open. It can, you know, ruin the experience of people who aren't even directly coming in contact with that person.
1: Yep. Very yeah. true. Yeah. I, but I think, you
0: know, that that
1: positivity permeates so much of our business. Sure. I, I don't know if when people come, we have giant, we call them houseisms on our walls and unique, you know decorative design ways. And I mean, from the handbook to the employee, I mean, all of it is built around that voice and that company culture. So the hope is that we're attracting people that care about that. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, asking the right questions and really getting to know the people that that you're interviewing.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you for that, Jen. Um, so one of the things that we love asking people who like you are often type A and often kind of getting lots of things done in their day is just their (laughs) life hacks. Like what are the things, and you're a mom, you mentioned that. I mean, there's a lot going on in your life. What are some of the things that you do, whether they're apps or just very practical things that you do to kind of make sure that You are not, I'm not going to go into the work-life balance because I'm not sure that we totally buy into that around here, but that there is, um, a more holistic way of being. And, you know, what do you do to make sure that you are living your best life, both at work and, uh, in your personal life?
1: Yeah. It's a tricky balance. Always a struggle to find that balance. Um, I think (laughs) Number one is
0: coffee.
1: Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Check. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Number two is probably iCloud. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I could do it without iCloud. Um, you know, I have a handful of great apps. Wunderlist is an awesome app that I use all the time because it's a, it's an, it's a list building oh. app that you can collaborate on with okay. other people. So I have it broken down into categories and then I invite everybody that needs to be part of each list. I've recently ta- started using the productivity planner and while, I don't know if you've heard of it, but oh, it's, yeah, it's I pretty have it. great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I gave to their first Kickstarter. That's how I found them, which is oh, you did?
1: Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. That's yeah, great. Yeah. So I have it. And as soon as I feel like I have to do something, I usually don't want to, Yeah. <laughs> but I I, know that. I, I actually have been pretty dedicated to it. And the thing I find most helpful about that is to stop and, think about what's the priority for the week Mm -hmm. because it's really easy to get overwhelmed by the lists. I mean, I have so many lists of things that need to be done and sometimes I'll dive in in the wrong order and end up not tackling the thing that really is the priority for that day or that week. And I think the productivity planner has been really good at identifying what that is and then doing it first. What else? Uh, Long walks with my dog. I think for me, tuning out, feeling stressed, overwhelmed, design or, you know, fatigue from decision making, um, because apparently that's a thing, decision fatigue. And I guess that's why Steve Jobs wore the same thing every day or something along those lines. Are you
0: being serious right now? is that a joke or yeah, is that for serious?
1: Real? Oh, wow. No, no, no. I'm not joking. It's a <laughs> thing. De- decision fatigue that you only have so many decisions you can actually make in a day. And so by eliminating other decisions, you open up space to make more, you know, business minded decisions or creative decisions or whatever you want those decisions to be. But I, so for me, it's, yeah, kind of pushing all of that unnecessary to the side and, Clearing my head is great. So um, yeah. I live in the mountains above LA, so I'm able to go on really beautiful walks with my dog, and that is a great reset for me.
0: Yeah, I I, can't I hope imagine. those are those
1: are <laughs> that's enough hack and uh, apps. For
0: you, so people have to go out and they get a, get coffee, go out and get a dog, live in the mountains somewhere, so they can take <laughs> and buy some black uh, turtlenecks. That's Make what, sure there's back takeaway People and <laughs> yes. an external drive. Yeah, that's another yes. one. That one we've learned the hard way. Yes, you don't want to lose things. No, no, <laughs> you definitely don't. Okay, we will. um, For everyone listening, we will have Jen's. List of recommendations, including black turtlenecks um on the on the podcast. <laughs> and then uh, perfect. Most of the women, or most of our listeners, excuse me, are women, and they're listening to your story and they're tuning in to be inspired. and they want to be, you know, either they're curious about launching something or they want to grow their current venture. What's one thing that you just want to kind of impart and share with them and say, look, I know it's going to get hard. I know this is, it's a long road, but I just want you, I just want you to hear this and I'm going to sort of equip you with this one bit of knowledge. What's one thing you'd like to share with them? Mm -hmm.
1: I would say, you know, inventing a new concept or disrupting an industry or pushing into uncharted territory is really hard. And there are always naysayers and negative people. And if you let them stop you from pushing forward, you'll never know what could have grown from your idea. So surround yourself with supportive, positive people. You have to know your own weaknesses Mm -hmm. and then either partner or just talk to people with those strengths that can fill those gaps for you. And then, you know, when forming a partnership, I think it's critical that you identify the terms of yes. your partnership in the beginning. Uh, I think too many partnerships fail and fall apart because this didn't happen.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And we've, we've dedicated a few different podcasts to that very thing. <laughs> um, so thanks mm-hmm. for validating that. Um. Yes, of course. Very true. You're not totally off the hook. We um end every podcast with our quick six, and so I'm going to ask you six questions and just give me your kind of you know answer that comes to mind. The first one is: Do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule? Oh, that's easy. Flex. (laughs) Flex schedule. And it, By the way, that doesn't mean fewer hours than nine to five.
1: Yes. That just means I know, whenever that, I feel like
0: it. That's always a little <laughs> bit of a lie when people hear that. I feel like they have to hear the part that's like, yeah, so I start working when everyone goes to sleep at 10 and then at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then I think I know this because maybe you just gave a nod to this, but do you prefer the mountains um, or the beach when vacationing? Uh, well, I... I grew up at the beach and now I live in the mountains. So
1: I think a great thing about California is that you could do both in one day. So I'm going to go
0: mountains to the beach okay. in the same day. <laughs> you've, you've worked on both then. Well done. Well played. And do you prefer working from your home or an office? Oh, I
1: love. you know, uh, wow. I'm answering really evasively all of these, um, I'm, <laughs> but I'm actually 50, 50 on that one. I love, we have a great house quarters office in West Hollywood. That's full of people and activity and ideas. And, um, but because I do a lot of creative work that requires writing and brainstorming and art direction and some quiet, I split my time 50, 50.
0: Yeah. It is nice to have that sort of, let me just think and, and be, and kind of create more, uh, of that creative space for yourself that requires quiet. Yeah, it, I can't
1: do that work in, yeah. a, in, the, in that office setting, but I but I also think some of the best ideas come out sure. of being with your team in person. Sure. I mean, we have people in New York and Austin, our team is split. And so we do a lot of work by phone, which is never as good as in-person work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not the same. It's not. It's true. Um, and then do you prefer working? You may have just answered this a little bit uh, alone or with a team.
1: I think both are totally <laughs> essential for my role. I mean, for my role specifically, because I am leading a company, but also doing really focused work that requires alone time. So it's, it's a 50-50 balance
0: there too. And then I think this is the hardest question. And do you prefer Thai or Mexican food? <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: gosh. Can I have a Thai iced tea and
0: tacos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have not had that answer. No one's ever given that answer. That's a, Really? Yeah. Or, yeah. oh, you know what else? I could do a
1: yellow curry and a margarita. There. <laughs> that See? would work too. See, it works. It works. <laughs> and then
0: this this Both one is good. a little bit more um, serious, I guess, in that the name of the podcast is Liberty Sessions. The name of the brand is Liberty. Our URL is Liberty for Her. Like we're all about this concept of what does it mean to be liberated? And so I'd just love to hear from you. What does it mean for you to be liberated, Jen?
1: Oh, well, you know, to me, I think it means just having the freedom to pursue my passion and to decide when to start, when to stop, when to work hard, basically be the captain of my own ship. Mm-hmm. And when I think about, you know, we lose perspective and realize that so many women in the world today don't even have that freedom. It's, it's pretty hard to imagine not having it. And makes me feel really grateful and um, hopeful for those women that um, everyone will have that freedom or liberty.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for liberating the women that are both women and men, but since we're all about women right now in this podcast for the women that you're liberating through the work that you're doing and all those people that get to be part of the Face House team that get to have a, a slightly different story because well, thank you, you for the
1: work you're doing. I mean, this is a fantastic collective of entrepreneurial women, and I'm happy to engage and advise and chat with anyone that that wants
0: to. Oh, thanks, Jen. That's wow. I really appreciate that. Thank you. We we might just take you up on that in some way. So. Great. So stay tuned. <laughs> well, there you have it, Liberty listeners, an awesome conversation here with Jennifer Worley of Face House. Please, 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 if you're in any of those locations and we will have them all listed in the podcast notes, check it out. It's amazing. Like I said, I walked in, I didn't even have a facial. I just walked in to, to see what was going on and was very, very impressed. So you've got to check it out. And we will be back with you guys soon. We're taking a quick hiatus and we'll be back in January with lots of new programming on this podcast for you guys. Until then, we'll see you later. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag #LibertySessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Wyndham, and music by Jordan Flower.